Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Inside Facebook Mobile, a podcast by Facebook where we talk to engineers who work on our family of apps. My name is Pascal and with me in this meeting room, which we call our studio, is Michaela. Hello, everyone. Okay, let's get to the news segment. I hear there is something new about Docusaurus you want to tell us about, Michaela. Um, Docusaurus was just voted the number one tool of the year on Stackshare.io. So congratulations to the team. We're looking, looking forward to see what else you guys come up with uh, this year. So what was Docusaurus again? Uh, Docusaurus is a project for managing open source documentation. We also have uh, a few mascots going around the office that I think you procured, Pascal. Can you tell us what those are for? <laughs> what they're for? I'm not really sure, but they look really cute. So it's this uh, little dinosaur. And uh, I guess it's a good reminder to always document everything you work on. Um, that's at least the way I treat it. Yeah, that's why I never got one. <laughs> well, I think I still have some left, so maybe just work on some documentation and I can give you one in return. They definitely look cute, so I'm going to put in the effort. Cool. And another uh, news item is the release of LibSpectrum 1.0. This release is uh, the first stable release of LibSpectrum, and it's an, a library for Android and iOS that allows you to transcode images and perform operations on them with a really simple declarative API, just something like, okay, you want to rotate this and make sure that even though the camera sensor may capture a 20 megapixel photo, you only want to upload a, I don't know, reasonable 4K image of it. So you can pass all this information to the library and it then creates and it then creates the correctly sized version directly on your device before you upload it and potentially waste unnecessary bandwidth. That sounds pretty cool. If you guys want to check it out, there's a link in the episode notes. We also have some news about PyTorch, which we covered in a previous episode. Um, if you remember, it's an open source machine learning library for Python, and it is now included by default in Google Collaboratory. Our guest for this episode is Tal from the Tel Aviv office, who works as a technical program manager in Release. Mihaela, can you tell us a bit more about what we're going to hear? We got pretty lucky to actually catch Tal on a visit to London. And she's uh, here with us now to discuss about Facebook Lite and more specifically the challenges of building, maintaining and releasing an app that has tight constraints of memory, network and disk usage. Excellent. Then let's talk to Tal. Hi, Tal. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Is this your first time in the London office? Um, no, it's not my first time. I try to come here at least twice a year because London is the best. Oh, that's that's awesome to hear. I heard the same thing about the Tel Aviv office, actually. I've been meaning to visit forever. Yeah, me come. too. It is very sunny in Tel Aviv now. Yeah, I, I would definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I just need to find a good excuse, but maybe, maybe we can come up with one. So uh, tell us, how long have you been at Facebook and what were you doing before joining? Um, I've been at Facebook for about two and a half years now. I've been a release TPM. Uh, we can talk about that a bit later. First, tell us what a TPM is. Um, a TPM is a technical program manager. And so, again, I've been here about two and a half years doing that. Um, I started my career um, a long time ago. Um, I was a student intern doing QA, manual QA. Um, then for some years, I was a software developer. Um, then a Scrum master, still doing some coding. Um, then at some point, um, I worked at a company and they laid the whole team off and gave me the best um, opportunity I ever gotten in my life uh, to rethink what I want to do when I grow up. And I decided that coding isn't for me. It's not what makes me smile when I wake up in the morning. Um, and I decided I want to be a project manager. 
That sounds like one of the best outcomes ever from a layoff. Um, that's true. I guess you got compensation, which is good enough to take some time and think what you're really uh, want to do. You get to take time to talk to people, understand and think with yourself what it is you're passionate about. So how long had you been coding for before you made the decision that it's actually not the thing that made you smile? Um, about five years, I guess. That's a lot of coding. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm hitting that point right now. So <laughs> You want to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about this, Mihaela? Don't let my manager hear this, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm guessing it's more of um, like my father comes from this field. Uh, he wrote code for a very long time. And I guess it's something that I had to prove to myself that I can also do and like I did I can do it but I don't really enjoy it so it's not worth it. So tell us about your new role what, what does a technical program manager do? Um, so a technical program manager can be in various fields um, you can be a product TPM and help out a product team to ship their product but myself I'm on the release side of things uh, which means I'm part of Facebook's release engineering team and what we do is We build all the processes and tools to ship Facebook apps. Um, and I focus on a specific app. Um, I work on Facebook Lite and I'm the person that has to make sure every week that the new version goes out on time and that the engineers have all the tools that they need to uh, have visibility to its quality and to know when the next version is going out and, and so on. And at the end of the day, I click the button and ship a new version out. Hopefully. <laughs> I guess this is a good point. For us to ask what FB Lite actually is to explain this to our listeners. Okay, so FB Lite is Facebook uh, lightweight version of uh, the Android app. Um, the APK is uh, a lot smaller than the regular app. Um, it's currently around 1.2 megabytes, which is very small. Yeah, It's, it's targeted to emerging markets, uh, places where people have uh, older devices. They have no storage on their phones. Um, the network disconnects a lot and Facebook apps comes to solve all these problems so that people uh, would be able to afford their data plans and use Facebook's, uh, Facebook on those uh, data plans. So this is Facebook Lite. If I remember correctly, this is even supposed to work with 2D net, 2G networks, right? Exactly. Um, it also supports 2G networks. Um, and for a very long time, uh, it worked on Android phones only. And a few months ago, we also released an iOS version. Uh, so now um, also people with uh, old iPhones, four or five, um, that can't really run the iOS app anymore because it is way too big for them. And again, the data costs a lot of money. So now um, iOS people can also use that. It's not launched globally yet, but uh, we're working on it. Why is FBLite important uh, for the Facebook family of apps? Why does the company choose to focus its resources on that? Uh, Facebook wants to leave no one behind to enable each and every person in the world to uh, use Facebook on the device that they have. Uh, so it is very uh, strategic for Facebook to also, because most of the, I guess, Western world is already you know, connected to the internet and um, they have Facebook on their uh, phones. But um, so the next people who are going to connect to the internet are going to have di very different devices than what we have. So we also, we need to be able to support them as well. So can we talk a bit about the technical details that actually make this possible? Because I'm pretty sure if I just started a new application in Android Studio today and pulled in the support library, I'd probably already be over two megabytes. Haven't tested this, might be wrong, sorry. But like, can you tell us a bit about the infrastructure that, that is required to make this possible? 
Yes. So the way that this works and the uh, the reason we're able to keep the app so small is it's because we have a, a client server architecture. So actually almost all the logic, the state, everything happens server side. And the client is pretty stupid. Uh, mostly what it does, it, it displays a screen. So the server knows uh, which screen it needs to send the images to, what the screen sizes and density and everything. And it knows to render the correct image and then send it to the client. So how does this work in terms of responsiveness and interactivity? If I click on a like button, I'm pretty sure something happens more or less immediately, right? So you don't just wait for the server response before you show some, some animation or feedback to the user. Yeah, so for some very popular um, actions that the client would do, it would sometimes implement... Um, a client-side solution for that, so that if someone would click like, for example, we would turn it blue and uh, at the same uh, moment that to show the user that we, we've clicked, clicked it, but then the server still doesn't know. So like in, in the database, it doesn't update it yet. Right. Other than trying to keep the APK size to a minimum, what are other constraints is FBLI dealing with? Um, there are several. Um, let's start talking about out-of-memory uh, exceptions. Uh, because, for example, uh, devices that people use on Facebook Lite have much less memory, so they're, uh, they tend to get out-of-memory exceptions uh, much smaller. So uh, when developers implement for Lite, they have to take that um, into account. Another challenge that we have is languages, uh, because it is more commonly used in languages where um, a standard Android app wouldn't support the language that, that those countries have. So in Facebook Lite, because we draw the screens ourselves, because we render the screen, so we're able to support many more languages um, than other apps. So that's, that's an advantage. Um, and another challenge that we have is getting people to upgrade to a new version of the app, uh, because in emerging markets, not everybody have a Gmail account like we do. So a lot less people um, have Google Play and get their updates automatically. And also a lot of those updates happen when we connect to Wi-Fi. And in those countries, a lot of people do not have Wi-Fi ever. They never connect to wow. Wi-Fi. So um, a challenge would be to get people to upgrade to a new version. Um, also because sometimes of lack of knowledge how to even do so. Because the first time they got the version of the app, they went to a store, they got a new phone, the shopkeeper just installed this version, whatever version they had on the phone. Um, and this is the, the version that the person had ever since. And they, they don't even know how to upgrade. So that's a very big challenge. So how often is a new uh, version released? We release a new version of the FB Lite client every week. And... Um, a new version of the server multiple times a day. So it moves pretty fast. So fun fact, me and Tal have actually intersected uh, here at Facebook before because um, a while ago I made a change in Litho that didn't have much impact in the, the main Facebook app, but it had an out-of-memory regression in FP Lite that Tal discovered. Uh, so you guys are using Litho. What, what other libraries are you using? Um, yes, I remember that case. That was the only version that we ever skipped from going to production um, since we went to weekly releases. Um, so that was interesting. Um, but other than Litho, we also um, use other libraries that are uh, peers at Facebook build. Uh, one of them would be Fresco to handle our images. 
Um, we use yoga for uh, the layouts um, of our screens. We use Acra. Uh, we use Flipper for debugging. We build with uh, Buck. Uh, and we optimize our our builds with Redux, so we use plenty of other um, libraries that people at Facebook build. That's great to hear, and I think we've covered most of them on the podcast already. I yeah, guess we I still need so. to get someone about Fresco in, even though we've had Balashi talked about it in like broad strokes. So w- with all these uh, dependencies on external libraries, um, how do you make other developers um, be aware and care about the restrictions that you have in FP Lite? So developers like me who don't know that FBLite has such a tight memory mm-hmm. constraint, for example. So as we can imagine, Facebook Lite has its core values that we want to keep the APK small. We don't want to use a lot of people's data. So for each one of those core values, we usually we define thresholds and then we build automation to keep those thresholds safe. So for example, if someone would... Merge a commit, which increases the APK size. Bots will run and, and check that if the size increased more than uh, we accept it. And then um, we will find the owner of the diff. Uh, we will open a task for the engineer to take care of it. Um, so even if someone now makes a Redux change or a change in Litho, so we would monitor each one of those changes that someone in the company makes and see the effect of it on our core values. Uh, because FB Lite doesn't really mean anything if, if we don't keep them. So like usually what we do is uh, we create guidelines that we want to keep, and then we have automation to uh, keep them. So I guess the approach of finding diffs that violate your size policies and then opening a task would be the stick. But I had the opposite experience once because I changed something, not even realizing what it would do, and reduced the size of FB Lite. And uh, the day after, or maybe, maybe a bit later, actually, I found some tickets on my desk. Can you explain what, what that uh, whole project was about? Yes. So we wanted to um, actually engage engineers into also reducing the APK size, even if they mean it or not. Uh, I guess like in your case, that you did a change and you didn't anticipate it would uh, improve uh, FB Lite APK size. So a while ago, the who was at the time the lead of uh, FB Lite in Tel Aviv, uh, the lead of engineering, he's very passionate about APK size. His name is Joey Simchon, and he decided that he's going to gamify it. And um, he bought a set of those tickets like you get at a carnival. And each person who would uh, reduce a kilobyte of size uh, would get a ticket. At, and at the end of the half, um, there was a shop and you could actually buy swag with all the uh, tickets that you have. So that uh, is really cool. Yeah, I think this is a really cool idea, especially because you are in an office which is a, a bit more remote than others uh, as, as being in Tel Aviv, completely different time zone. And then making sure that people still care about this and are aware of this must be quite difficult at times. But yeah, through projects like this, everyone knows what's going on. I have to check, but I think I have some stored depth if that's the case. So what other ways do you choose to like keep your developer relations internally running? So what I care about when I release a new app every week, uh, we have a week of uh, beta that we do. Uh, we have uh, beta testers who sign up in Google Play and they get the app a week before everybody else gets it. And then I start getting signal on uh, crashes and errors that we have on that. And again, crashes would not only come from FB Lite engineers. 
crashes can come from any engineer who touched any library that FB Lite is using. Um, so this is uh, another point where I would engage with uh, other engineers who might be in Seattle, for example, uh, still on the weekend. And I get, I see the crash and when it's already a working week in Tel Aviv, I would open a task for them. And then again, um, they will need to cooperate with me and uh, fix it. Uh, and if they don't, then I would be blocked in getting the release out. So there is a lot of uh, working relationships um, remotely uh, with almost any engineer touching libraries um, that we need to. Is it difficult that you have to work on, on different work days than other offices? Uh, yes, that could be very challenging sometimes in the office in Tel Aviv, but it is 10 hours difference from the West Coast. Um, and also, you know, different holidays. And also Tel Aviv does not uh, work on Fridays, but we start the week on Sundays. So our work day is Sunday to Thursday. So if I would come to the office on Sunday morning, the first time I can talk to someone in the West Coast would be my Monday evening. So two working days have already passed and not only now they get in. So we have to find a lot of solutions, for example, in release schedule, because this is what I deal with. When is the last day we can take cherry picks in to fix crashes? Because I, I still have to, I need to give opportunities for engineers around the globe and around um, time zones and work days to get their fixes in. So this is always something that you have to keep in mind. In my experience, I've actually sometimes found th this uh, difference of uh, working days quite useful. Uh, we used to have, we, we still have actually a rotation of um, sheriffs uh, that are um, in charge of making sure that the build um, of Android doesn't break. And um, it's really useful to have someone who can work on Sundays in Tel Aviv um, and work on Uh, Fridays in London, for example, to make sure that this uh, this keeps going. That is true. And also with my release engineering team, um, sometimes if it's like very late in my day and I still have something that I'm waiting, waiting on or something that needs to be fixed, I can sometimes even hand over the issue and go to sleep and know that my teammates will take care of it. And so we help each other. So sometimes it is helpful to be across time zones, but A lot of times it's also very <laughs> challenging. Yeah, 10 hours sounds really grim. With eight over here, we have at least this one to two hour overlap every day, which everyone then cramps their meeting into. But yeah, with 10, you're basically completely out of luck. Yeah, like the earliest um, some, I can meet someone is my 6 p.m., which is quite late. With, with all these uh, technical constraints around FB Lite, how do you uh, keep the app moving forward with uh, with features? How do you keep it on on parity with the main Facebook app. Is it difficult to get a new feature um, integrated in FB Lite? Uh, at first it was, uh, because we didn't really have a lot of people uh, using FB Lite. But the way that Facebook is structured, each product team, let's take groups, for example. Um, so they have uh, engineers working on the main iOS app, and they have engineers working on the main Android app. And as Facebook Lite got uh, bigger, And uh, engineers saw more opportunity to make change if they will uh, make feature parity uh, with features that already exist in, in the other apps. So slowly they start getting engineers working on Facebook Lite in all those product teams. And now that they see that this is making an impact and touching people that have not used uh, those products before. Uh, so it bec it's becoming more popular and, and people want to be part of Facebook Lite anymore. So the... 
uh, community of uh, engineers working on Facebook Lite uh, around the different Facebook offices is getting bigger. So I guess like everyone wants to have that feature in FB Lite as well to reach the broadest audience possible. But who ultimately makes the decision whether or not it's a good idea of including a particular feature in FB Lite? Uh, we have to take uh, things into account. We have to, again, going back to the core values of Facebook Lite, uh, will this be valuable for people to use? Um, if this new feature for parity will cost us a very big size increase, is it worth it? So we would uh, run tests and see if it actually increases the core values or not. So, you know, it's, it's always a trade-off. Is it valuable enough to add to the size or is it not? Is there Maybe we should, uh, you know, go back to the drawing table and see if we can implement it better, if we can do it server-side. Um, and then, you know, if it doesn't affect um, the uh, APK size, then why not? Let's have it in there. It seems like a very good fallback to always first try to implement something server-side, which is like essentially free for you to implement and everyone gets it immediately. You don't even have to go jump through all the hoops of getting users upgraded, right? And another advantage of that, that everyone will get it. Um, all the users, not only users with um, new versions because it's server-side. So every person who ever installed Lite, unless some constraints of changes that would be need to made client-side, and all the users would get it. So that's a very big advantage, and it is very different from how other um, native mobile apps operate. So you already mentioned that users of FB Lite use the app quite differently from the main application. But how do you actually know what different requirements and use cases people using FB Lite have? Uh, we often uh, conduct uh, research trips, uh, which is we decide on an area in the world which we believe that we don't know uh, enough about, about how people behave there, what's the usage of the app. And then we have our UX researchers who uh, design those trips. And then we go to several places, um, each time a different place. And we talk to people. We go to markets and we stop people on the street and see if they would talk to us. Or we would have focus groups or um, other activities like that. And we would actually talk to real people, real users, And even, you know, tell them, can you please hand your phone out? Can you show us how you're using the app? And you discover incredible things that you would have never imagined. Do you remember one particular thing that just blew you away? There was one thing uh, on a trip that I joined. So we were talking to this person and he was using the app in English. And obviously he does not know a word of English. Um, so we asked him, do you want us to change the language for you and and he's like no no I'm, I'm good I'm good like this <laughs> I don't want to change it and we even asked him okay so can you please show us how you upload the picture for example and so he memorizes the the um, the buttons that he needs to push the order of them in order to upload a photo he does not understand a word on the screen um, and just you know Think about um, if we change the buttons, if we change the order of the buttons, that person would not be able to upload the picture anymore. So wow. this is something engineers um, need to remember when they change their products, but we're not talking about that now. So um, again, we asked him, um, do you want us to change the uh, language for you to your um, native language so that you can understand? And he's like, no, no, I'm good. And then we said, okay, again, let us change it for you. And we changed it for him and he's like, 
now I can read. It was <laughs> amazing to look at him. It was like the person was reborn. He's finally understanding <laughs> what he sees on the screen. And that blew me away because a lot of people in all those markets, they didn't have like a phase where years ago they got the internet and then everybody had a computer. And then like, we know that every... Every app that we go to, every website, there is a settings. Like you can always go and, and change and configure the app, uh, whatever, however it fits you. And, and people in those places, they went from nothing to each person having their own mobile device. And they don't even know that there is a concept of a settings that you can configure the app to fit whatever you need. And that was mind-blowing for me. Yeah, and I guess some things you can probably just figure out by trying, like uploading a picture. There's mostly iconography involved. But I just remember whenever someone just wants to prank you and sets your, back in the days, I don't know, VCR receiver to Japanese, and then you have to figure out how to configure it back without understanding a single word in the settings menu. That's quite a challenge, so I can imagine. When you're getting ready for a release um, and you start seeing regressions and crashes, um, how do you make sure uh, that the release uh, goes forward? Uh, we would always ping anyone that we need, even if it's on the weekend, um, to fix launch blockers for a release because the most important thing for us is to ship on time. The train will always leave on time. Um, so when you release an app... Um, any app, not just Facebook, um, you can choose between three things that you want to focus on when you release a new version. Um, you can focus on quality, you can focus on features that you want to get out in that release, or you can focus on releasing on time. And Facebook, a long time ago, chose to focus on both quality and releasing on time. So we will never wait for a feature to end uh, before we release it. And the advantages of it is that everything is very like visible and expected. So if you didn't finish your feature, you didn't land your code, you always know when the next release is coming out. So it's all very, very predictable. And this is the way um, that we chose to work again, because it fits the products that we get out. And this is our goal. Like we will always ship on time. Uh, we will not delay. We will get everyone involved needed in order to get a release out every week. So worst case scenario, if you identify the source of a crash, but the developer who owns that part of the code doesn't respond or he's on vacation, what do you do in that case? Yeah, so um, we have multiple BISEC tools that we use, and, and this is how we identify the source of the crash. Um, and if the person is not responding, we would simply revert. We go back to safety because, again, we need to be on time. And, and the safest thing for us, instead of getting um, new code in there is to revert to what we know already works. So if we can't fix it, we will revert it. Okay, this is just a question out of personal curiosity. You mentioned Flipper as one of the tools that you use. Do you know what kind of use cases you have for Flipper? Yes, even though I said that uh, most of the code in FBLite is server-side, we still have our a client that we release and our um, client engineers uh, they use it to debug their startup time and any bugs that we have um, every week. I've seen it live. Engineers are very excited about it. That's really cool. That might be my excuse to visit you in the future. Speaking about visiting, can you tell us a little bit more about the Tel Aviv office? What other projects are based there? Uh, so the Tel Aviv office opened a bit over five years ago, and we currently have over uh, 200 uh, employees in the office. 
Um, a lot of the projects that we're focusing on are solutions for emerging markets, which is Facebook Lite, as uh, we talked about. Uh, but there is also a very big team working for in- internet.org. And as part of that, especially Express Wi-Fi, which is a product which wants to or aims to connect the unconnected. They work with local operators and they get up antennas in villages and places where otherwise they cannot get internet. Um, and then they provide internet for all those people. So internet.org is one of the other big projects in the Tel Aviv office. Do you know if the hardware for setting this up is also done in Tel Aviv? I believe that uh, mostly the software side is done in Tel Aviv, not the hardware. Might be wrong, but uh, this is my hunch. And well, are you hiring over there? <laughs> of course, we are always hiring. Um, we have everything. And the office grew a lot in the recent couple of years. And uh, because... We used to be mostly engineering, but now we have all the XFNs that we need so that we're able to operate pretty independently. And again, if we go back to the time zone issues, we don't have to wait for a data scientist or a designer or a product manager across the seas to work with us. So we are hiring for all of the different uh, roles, engineering and XFNs. Yeah, we, you notice this in, in London too. The more projects you have here and the more you can rely on each other, the less you're actually dependent on the other people on the other side of the world waking up on time. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. So thanks so much for joining us, Tal. Thank you for and having me. And I hope me. you still have a lovely time here in London, even though it's definitely not as sunny as in Tel Aviv right now. I hope it snows this week. <laughs> I don't think you really want that. Uh, okay, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. And that was our interview with Tal. Mihaela, I don't know about you, but one thing that comes up again and again and kind of fascinates me is this idea of bringing more things back to the server. It's this endless pendulum swinging in one direction and back into the other. It's like mainframes versus thin clients, then rich web applications, and then we're now back at thin clients on the mobile side and moving more stuff to the service site again. I know this has come up in Litho as well, because when we look at the work that we do on the client, we see there is a lot of duplication going on, like the layout trees we calculate on all the identical phones again and again, and we've been thinking about pre-computing those. Have you looked into something like this before? This is something that is coming up again and again, especially um, as applications become more and more complex and they become more uh, rich in features. At some point, it's not going to be sustainable to do all of these things on the client. Right. So that's definitely something that we've thought about uh, using Litho for. Um, in an ideal world, we wouldn't do, we wouldn't be doing any screen rendering on the client. The server would just send us a description of what the screen should look like, and then we would use something like Litho, for example, to be able to actually render the screen as efficient as um, efficient as possible. But we wouldn't be doing any of that work on the client. So I think this is kind of where mobile applications are are going uh, now. I think this is kind of a cool trend that's going around. Uh, have you heard of other of other frameworks that, that do something like this? Well, I know that a former co-host of this podcast is actually exploring this idea at the moment. But I see this pretty much coming up everywhere. People want to move faster and mobile applications and their release cycle is kind of slowing things down in terms of experimentation, just shipping features to users. And even though on Android you can be pretty quick in the turnaround time, it still requires people to actually download new applications on their device. And if you control this on 
the server side, you can actually switch out things multiple times an hour if you want to. I think it's uh, very similar to what uh, the problem that React Native is trying to solve. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So what else, Mihaela? Was there anything else you found particularly interesting in the interview with Tal? I think the thing that stood out to me is how the way that people use their phones differently gives rise to engineering challenges. Like I would never think that because because of the way people use feature phones, we would have to build an entire team and an entire new application around it because of the challenges that uh, that implies. Yeah, and and the way they found out about this is also quite interesting, and of course requires some resources that you might not have when you are a two-person team who works on an application in the afternoon together. But when you fly out and ask people in the streets how they actually use their phones to inform which features to implement and in which way, that's a very different way of working on applications than most people are used to. Yeah, it's basically starting from the user's needs and then building something around that. Yeah, which is fantastic. And all of this, of course, then informed by data as well. And that's all we have for the 10th episode of Inside Facebook Mobile. Thanks so much for listening to us for 10 full episodes and actually a few fractured ones in between. You can celebrate this milestone with us by leaving a review, which might help other people finding this podcast. You can do this in Apple Podcasts, in Spotify maybe? I don't know. I'm not your boss. And don't forget to subscribe in all the places that you normally find podcasts so you will be around when we release episode number 11. And you can send us feedback if you have any about new guests, about questions you want to ask us. You can write emails to mobilepodcasts at fb.com or send us a tweet to at insightfbmobile. And we have an Instagram page with the same name. You can also send us messages there and you won't even be constrained by 280 characters. And that's all we have for you. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. When you go high, I go low, Mihaela. I'm sorry to bring you down, Pascal. Um, Maybe they can talk about the Corsairus. The Corsairus. <laughs>